Hey, and welcome to the UX Energy Podcast. We're joined today by Sherry Ben-Haver, disability and accessibility advocate. She's a, one of the directors at VMware and published author. She challenges us today around how we should change our mindset uh, and our culture when it comes to accessibility. Flips us on this head, helps us understand it better, and gives us lots of practical tips for improving our websites and products and organizations. Okay, hey, welcome to the UX Energy Podcast. I am uh, greeted by Sherry, and Sherry is, uh, we've been connected a while now, I think from 2019. And Sherry's a accessibility advocate, and we're, we're really glad to have her on the show. Also, welcome to some of the audience here. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on the show, Sherry. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Jonah. Awesome. Well, like we, we've got a number of questions, and I'd love to kind of get to know you. We've also got some questions from the audience that are asking from, from the UX Energy Mentoring Platform. So let's dive in straight away. So you're, as what I understand, a Canadian living in California. What, what's, what's your story? Where, whereabouts are you? So originally, I'm from the province of New Brunswick, which uh-huh. is northeast of Maine and known for um, mostly lobster and forestry and not much else. Um, so uh, I did uh, also live in Calgary, uh, and then I moved uh, to California uh, in '99. Awesome, awesome. And and so uh, you're you're you've been you've been there a long time. You've you've done different uh, degrees in uh, computing yep. and then in law, as I understand. Um, so tell me a little bit more about like your sort of early career and kind of what, what made you get more into uh, accessibility and like, help, help me understand that. Sure. So um, my first degree, as you mentioned, uh, was in computer science and I loved software testing. I thought, um, you know, if you look at all the things I've done across all of my life, at, at the core, they're all about solving complex problems. And so um, I did software testing for about 10 years. Um, I was uh, a, a lead uh, at uh, for software testing for E-Trade uh, at one point in time uh, towards the end of my um, software testing career. And I got asked to testify as an expert witness in a lawsuit. And in the U.S., you know, it, it's a fairly litigious society over here. If, if people think that they've done you wrong in a business dealing, they file lawsuits. And so the lawsuit was about whether or not some custom software had been uh, sufficiently tested. And I realized at the end uh, that the software people didn't understand the law. The lawyers didn't understand software. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I should go to law school. There'll be a really good career for somebody um, who can, you know, comfortably have one foot in each um, domain. And so I went to law school thinking that I was going to practice intellectual property, you know, patents and trademarks and copyrights and all that good uh, technology startup stuff. Um, and my third year of law school, we discovered that my um, daughter was losing her hearing. Um, so even though I was born with a mobility disability and I use a wheelchair uh, to get around, um, I actually got into accessibility because of my daughter. So first, um, I did advocacy for the deaf for eight years, uh, suing uh, insurance companies and school districts for discriminating against people with hearing loss. And after that, then uh, I ended up uh, 
thinking that WCAG was going to be a really big deal. And uh, so I, I uh, started, you know, shifted my focus uh, to accessibility from there. So that was about 12-ish years ago. Yeah, awesome. And and so that 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 shift, and I, I think you're still maybe involved in, I guess, being that bridge between business and maybe end users, because in your current role, yeah. uh, sort of director level, you are um, at VMware. And so what, what does the sort of the day-to-day job look like for you? Because you've been there over three years now, right? So what what, what, I, what does your day-to-day look like? I've been there almost four years. It's okay, a, four years. I was accessible. I was accessibility employee number one, um, and uh, we've built a team of now over 20. Uh, VMware is a 40,000 person company. Um, I frequently describe it as uh, the biggest software company you've never heard of. (laughs) You know, we're not not like Microsoft, um, but we are really darn big. Um, And so, yes, you're right. Being able to talk to the developers and say, this is how to fix this bug but then also being able to talk to the business owners and say, this is why these bugs need to be fixed. You need to invest time in that before you go off and build new features. Um, so being being able to do both worlds plus uh, understanding uh, new legislation as it's passed, like the European Accessibility Act, which will be kicking in in less than three years, I believe at this point, um, it, it it's a really good sweet spot. Um, Ikigai, I think it's called in Japanese. It means uh, the the harmony when all the the Venn diagrams come together and you're sitting in the center where all the things that you love intersect. Yeah, I, I love the Venn diagrams. Probably overused in the UX space, but um, yeah, it's it's good to, good to understand that. And in in your writing, and you know, you've got your uh, publications that you've done, your newsletter, and, and loads of blogs that you do on your website. You're famously, uh, I guess, famous for saying uh, we should no longer consider disability as an afterthought. Um, and and what. Like I, I just did some uh, research around this uh, around the UK where I'm from, and you know there's government stats that are saying that 22% of the UK's population would be reported as disabled or have some form of uh, cognitive motor disabilities, visual impairments, and things like that. Yeah. And so, why is that a thing? Why is disability an afterthought? Um, just just from your experience here of advocacy, like wh- why is it an off- an afterthought in organisations? So if you think of disability as a minority group, we're actually the largest minority group in the world. Um, But very few people think of disability as a single thing because there's six different categories of disability and each of those six needs something different. And then you've got people that have multiples of six. So I have a mobility issue, um, but I'm also a type one diabetic and I also have glaucoma. So I actually touch three of the six buckets. Um, And so the combination of things that I need to be equal is very different than, you know, for example, what my daughter needs. So, uh, you know, I wish that disability was included more in DEI initiatives in some companies like VMware and, you know, Microsoft, Adobe, Apple, uh, larger companies it is, but smaller companies it's frequently left out. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's tragic. Um, and you, you've written quite a lot of work around um, public services that you use as, as a wheelchair user. Uh, you know, you talked about public transport, airlines, 
what what's been some of your experience and i also what's been some of the reception to your um your articles and you you, you kind of making these points being a voice for for this sherry like um how's how, how's that been in terms of your publication um how, how have people well, responded um in some places, I've been able to have some fairly significant impact. Um, for example, uh, some of the work uh, that Slack and Miro are doing uh, in Figma right now around accessibility. One of my roles at VMware is to work with VMware vendors to make the vendors more accessible so that VMware employees uh, with disabilities can better use the products, okay? Sure. But when Slack releases accessibility updates that we've asked for, it, they don't just release them to VMware, they release them to the world. Yeah. Um, so I've been, you know, quite proud of some of the things that we've been able to accomplish there. Um, you know, other things, you know, related to my personal complaints, like, uh, for example, Medium, um, you know, I've had no ability to impact them at all um, in terms of any improvement and so I voted with my pocketbook um, and moved my uh, blog, which has a quarter million users, readers a year. I, I moved it to Substack, right. so uh, which is which is much more accessible. Um, I was having to maintain a mirror blog on my personal website that was accessible, um, and that just got to be irritating over time. And so I've, I've just consolidated everything on Substack. Yeah, for sure. Let, let's maybe dive into the specifics of what is accessibility uh, just in a second. But um, I guess my question is, um, you know, just just for listeners who are maybe uh, new to the term or, you know, they maybe just have the sort of in their mental models, you know, just an image of a wheelchair or, you know, accessibility ramps or Braille, you know, the, if that's all they're thinking of in terms of disabilities and stuff. What what's sort of the what's the sort of the relationship between accessibility, uh, but also disabilities? Like, what, what, why are we slowly moving the conversation onto accessibility? You know, you talk about um, your book, um, giving a damn about accessibility. What what are these two um, areas that we're that we're talking about here? If we were to d define the two um, topics, are they kind of overlaid with each other? They do overlay, but from a different point of view. So when you're talking about disability, frequently people use what we call the medical model of disability. Right. And the medical model of disability says something is wrong with you and you need to fix it. You use the experience of the medical profession to improve it. And it puts the onus on the person with the disability to solve the problem. Okay. Well, first of all, not all problems are solvable, right? I'm a type one diabetic. I'm not gonna grow a new pancreas. Um, I'm always gonna have to use insulin. Uh, but um, also some people who have differences in their abilities don't consider themselves disabled. You know, you look at the multiple generational de um, deaf families, they don't consider their use of sign language a disability. They don't view their hearing loss as something that needs to be fixed. And so, uh, there, there's an issue with focusing on the disability because you're looking at it from the negative side of the things. Mm. Accessibility says, how am I going to make everybody be able to use what it is that I'm producing? Okay, so for example, to make this podcast accessible, you need to include a transcript or uh, closed captioning. Uh, so that uh, people who are deaf uh, have a way of, of reading uh, what it is that um, 
what it is that you and I are saying, basically. Right. So accessibility focuses on making things work with the technology that people with disabilities use to equally access things. So for myself, uh, I use magnification. Um, I, I view most things at at least 200% because if I don't, I have a headache at the end yeah. of the day. Um, and I don't use a mouse because I've got pretty bad arthritis in my hand, so I only use a keyboard uh, to get around. For people who are blind, they use screen readers. Um, and then there's some more sophisticated devices. Now, some people uh, who are neurodiverse, for example, may not have particular assistive technology that they use, but there are programming techniques that will make them more or less comfortable with using a reading an electronic document or using a website. And so those things are covered uh, in the web content accessibility guidelines, which are the regulations that uh, we want everybody globally to follow uh, to make their uh, information and their digital properties accessible. Yeah, great. And I think that's a perfect sort of really clear definition that accessibility is isn't just like a nice to have but it, it's it, it's it's about facilitating all users and isn't it right in saying that when you do follow the uh, these guidelines the WCAG that you actually improve the experience for everyone because a clear contrast page yeah, so improves we, it, right? we have a phrase we have a phrase in the accessibility field called curb cut okay. and curb cuts are the little dips in the road that allow people with wheelchairs to get down and then across the road and then back up the other side. So a curb cut is something that was designed for people with disabilities, mm. but benefits everybody. So who uses curb cuts? Well, Amazon delivery people, you know, mothers pushing strollers or parents, I should say, pushing strollers, kids on skateboards, people on scooters, you know, the probably only 1% of the people who use curb cuts are people in wheelchairs. So captioning is, is another curb cut. 80% of people who use captioning don't have hearing loss. They're visual learners, they're English language learners, they're in noisy environments. So there's reasons why they benefit from seeing things at the bottom of the screen, but they don't actually have hearing loss. So simplifying your user interfaces, uh, making things clearer, uh, that that's always going to benefit all users and not just users with disabilities. Yeah, powerful. I love I love that phrase, uh, the curb cut, right? Um, yeah. yeah, curb cut effect. I it actually that. even has a wiki page. Awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll need to link to that. We've got a question from Bram, who uh, is one of the uh, members of the UX design mentoring community, um, UX Energy. And uh, he, he's got some really good questions. Um, and so it would be good to maybe answer this, Sherry, and maybe give some practical tips around this. So if it's okay, I'll read it to you here. So he says... Um, I always catch myself that I do not intentionally consider accessibility during the first stages of a project. He's a UX designer, so he's, you know, being definitely more creative. So he says, I tend to reserve this for a later stage. Is this natural or should I consider to change this habit as soon as possible to avoid unnecessary work in the future? Um, and and then and then just the final sort of part, he also says this is okay. quite a big one. Uh, do we always make sure that our product is super accessible or does that depend on the target audience? So maybe we should slice that up a bit more. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Okay. So let me start with nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to exclude 22% of my potential customers, right? right? 
but that's what's happening when you don't when your product is not accessible because uh there there's another survey um i do i've got a lot of survey data in my head um specifically from the uk that said that 91% of people with disabilities in this very large survey had left a site and gone to a competitor site without complaining uh because it wasn't accessible we're tired of complaining complaints aren't really getting us much of anywhere but we vote with our pocketbooks just like i did when i left medium uh for substack so you want to include accessibility as early as possible because it can impact the design and it can impact the estimates uh for example if you're doing uh something that involves complex data visualizations you need to have a way of providing that data to the users with disabilities other than those fancy charts right. that we can see that the screen readers can't interpret Interesting, yeah. so that would impact the design because you would have to provide an export function mm. uh for the data so earlier is always better um tacking it on at the end you're always going to end up reworking something that you've already done and rework as we know is is not the most efficient or the the least expensive way to go about doing things so i always recommend thinking about accessibility at the beginning making sure that you include people with disabilities in any user research you're doing and then also writing briefs for the uh developers because some accessibility behavior you can see on the screen but others uh have to be coded a particular way but can't can't be seen from the designs so for example you might have a a link that says click here right, right? and click here making air quotes around that is perfectly fine for what's visually displayed but for somebody who's using a screen reader it needs to say you know click here to learn more about our labor day sale right um so that the screen reader has more context of what's going to happen when they click on the link so uh early as possible and then make sure you document for your developers behaviors that you want page titles heading structure um descriptions for the graphics are known as alt text none of those things are visible mm. they have to be coded so bake a list and hand it off with the comps to the developers to make sure uh that the end product is accessible as possible. Yeah, sure. That that's that's a really awesome sound bites there. Um I, I'm sure Bram will appreciate it. What what about then when he's making this point of saying, you know, if our target audience isn't, you know, doesn't have accessibility requirements, you know, do we need to make it, you know, is it is it mandatory? But how do you know that your target audience doesn't have accessibility requirements? I mean, with one in five people having a disability, chances are some of them do. You just don't yeah. know it. Um, you know, seventy percent of disabilities are hidden. Uh, you know, things like dyslexia and color blindness—you can't tell by looking at the individual that they have a disability. Um, so you you just never want to make that assumption. uh you know partly because a it's wrong um and b uh there are countries where uh you will get into trouble with the government so you're you're basically excluding yourself from having customers in California you're excluding yourself from having customers in Israel uh because uh those those people will litigate uh over uh 
accessibility issues if they can't successfully become a customer because you haven't made your product accessible. Yeah, so there's there's three three really key factors: is you're uh, you're avoiding unnecessary rework. You're, you're uh, financially going to be better off <laughs> because you're including more people and you're also not going to get sued by certain user groups, uh, you know. Um, and I, I think there's, there's similar right. rules in the UK, especially for public sector websites as well. So, yeah, th- those are really good answer. And so for, for people who are... So let me, let me explain yeah, the thing sure. about the UK for a minute because uh, it's not obvious unless you really think deeply about yes. it. Um. The, the EU had a law called EN301549, and it was the public sector um, accessibility law. That got adopted by the UK before, before Brexit, Brexit happened. Yeah. Okay, so that is still good law in, in the UK. Now, the European Accessibility Act, which was passed after Brexit, won't apply in the UK. But as a fallback, there's also uh, a specific UK law called BS8878. Uh, and so uh, accessibility is definitely the law in the UK. It's just that it doesn't, uh, the British people aren't as litigious as the US. In the US last year, we had 4,500 lawsuits wow. just about digital accessibility. Um, and the, the people who are suing are winning more than 90% of the cases. Wow. And so Sherry, um, what are ways that we can equip these uh junior just starting out designers who are you know learning the basics of design learning about you know what is usable design you know they're learning how to design buttons and forms what are uh, some simple steps that they can take and you know what resources could you recommend for learning how to do accessible design um I know a few, and that's something that I would do in my work, but you're a lot more well-versed in this. Um, so what, what, what sort of uh, advice would you give to someone just starting out who wants to maybe explore more about how to do better design, more accessible design? Um, you mentioned alt text and you know uh, the closed captions and things like that. Anything else that you'd recommend or more resources? Yeah, so I have an article um, which I've given Jonah the link to, and um, it's called Advice for the Aspiring Accessibility uh, Professional. It um, has a list of free resources and a list of resources that you have to pay for. But I think for starters, if if you're a designer, the best thing that you could do is to learn how to use some of this assistive technology uh, that people who are, have disabilities use. So spend a day not using a mouse. Uh, it takes about 45 minutes to learn how to use the, um, the Apple iPhone uh, screen reader, which is called VoiceOver, and it's built into Apple, so it's free. Again, uh, if you use a PC, there's a screen reader called NVDA, which is non-visual desktop access. You can download that for free. Um, don't use JAWS. JAWS is the screen reader that most blind people use. It's got a lot of bells and whistles built on top of it that NVDA doesn't have. But at the base level, they both um, operate the, the same. And JAWS is ridiculously expensive. Right. So don't spend the money on that. Um, when you know how people with disabilities use their assistive technology, you'll understand how it impacts your design. 
uh, where you might want to organize things uh, in a different way. Uh, you might want to make sure that your menus are in order of, uh, you know, most likely to be selected items at the top and, and, you know, least common items at the bottom so that people who are using a keyboard don't have to sit there and hit the down button 27 times uh, to get to something uh, that, that's really common. Uh, you know, one thing that drives me crazy as a keyboard user uh, is uh, date pickers that don't support type ahead. Right. Okay, my, my birthday is towards the end of the month. I'll, if they don't let me type in the number, I have to sit there and hit the down button, you know, a lot, a lot of times. Um, so so type ahead. Uh, so once once you've used some of the assistive technology, you'll you'll understand where some of the pain points are. Mm. Sherry, thank, thanks so much for that. I'll, I, I will share the article because um, there are sort of, uh, I guess, expensive options, but there's also free ones. There's courses, there's boot camps in the, in the article. So I'll, I'll definitely share that. Yeah. And so um, as, as these uh, folks newer to UX, uh, newer to, you know, the term accessibility and applying that, how can we, um, and this is more going back to maybe your day job here, how do we um, effectively raise this as an issue? How do we get buy-in? Um, in an organization to promote good design that's accessible? So if your company claims that they're inclusive, that's always a good place to start uh, because you're not inclusive if you're excluding people with disabilities by not dealing with um, accessibility issues. Um, you know, there's usually three uh, things. There's, there's the, it's the right thing to do argument there's the it's good for business argument, and then there's the it's the law yes. argument. Um, and so I usually tackle those in, in that order. Um, you know, appealing to people's better natures first, um, but then getting more serious about the this is going to cost you money if you don't do right. it um, arguments uh, at the end if the, the appeals to the good nature don't work. Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. And, and sure, like you've, you've obviously been an advocate um, and you, you, you mentioned a few good successes there, you know, with Myro and Figma and they're really grasping this and taking it seriously. But w what about some of the sort of real big setbacks that you've had? You mentioned Medium, but just in terms of when you're chatting to uh, members of the business, like do, do you find that there is, um, you know, almost abuse or sort of um, neglect that you, you often get. Um, do you have any kind of horror stories or things that can like help break past sort of our own sort of models of like, oh, you know, we just need to get a ramp and, you know, that will be fine. Or, you know, we just need to just, you know, make sure that there's um, what, what's been some bad attitudes that you've come across? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear sure. that. Sure. So, so the best soundbite I'm going to give you on this entire conversation is accessibility is a program, not a project. Okay. You don't just make something accessible once and then you go, yay, we're Checklist. done yeah. and walk away from it. Um, because software changes, content changes. So you have the accessibility of the infrastructure, but then you also have the accessibility of the content and they both have to be accessible. So if, people are allowed to change their content after your design has been produced, that has to be checked for accessibility. So probably um, the, the most common horror stories uh, are of large companies that have been sued or have been threatened with suits. You know, they get 
accessibility religion for about five minutes. Yeah. You know, they, they make whatever the person is complaining about accessible and, and then they don't do anything like else. And things pretty quickly look like a band aid or something. Just, just quick fix. Uh, yeah. 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 Pretty much. Uh, you know, to, to use that um, analogy, uh, you know, sometimes you need surgery. Sometimes you don't need a Band-Aid. Um, and, and so uh, there was one situation with a, a public utility in the U.S. where they took their, mo their 100 most accessed pages and made them accessible. So this was a story I heard directly from somebody who was involved uh, 10 years ago and then didn't do anything else. And within 18 months all those accessibility changes had been lost. The, the pages had completely reverted to being inaccessible. And so somebody else complained. And again, they kicked off the accessibility effort and made stuff accessible and it was good for a while. And then we had this public safety power shut off. I live in wildfire areas in California. And so they put up a whole new website with information about where people should go and what they should do if their power has been shut off because of wildfire yeah. risk and the, and the new website wasn't accessible. Yeah. So the accessibility isn't just about accessible design and accessible coding. It's really about culture yeah. change and making sure that accessibility gets integrated into the definition of done and making sure that, that business owners actually care about accessibility so that if they're launching something new, accessibility is assumed to be uh, as, as part of the product. And W3C, which is the organization that owns the WCAG guidelines, has recognized that. And so we're putting out something called a maturity model. Um, and that's gonna be published literally in the next couple of days. Um, it's a, a, what we call a first public working draft. And that is to figure out how accessible your organization is, which is directly correlated to the chances of some, something staying accessible after you make it accessible. So, uh, Maturity model, uh, I think, is the way, the direction uh, that accessibility is going to be heading. Because too many companies have been sued, you know, three, four, five times in the U.S. because they make it accessible and then they backslide, and they make it accessible and then they backslide. If they had made the the corporate culture changes to go higher on the maturity model scale, chances are that's going to prevent some of that backsliding. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and and like. What are, what are companies, um, more specifically from a design perspective, but just in general, in terms of uh, culture, what, what companies are doing this really well? You know, like household products or, you know, common websites we use. Like, what, what are ones that are doing this well that really embrace this? Yeah, so um, Apple, Microsoft, Adobe, Google are all... Uh, they're, they have accessibility integrated into their cultures. They have a high percentage of employees with disabilities and they actually publicly disclose that information. Um, they're, they're probably some of the ones uh, that are doing the best. Yeah, because in, your, in your, um, your maturity model that you have, I think I've just got it up here. It's uh, launch, integrate and optimize. I, I, maybe you'll be updating that soon, yes. but they would definitely be 
your definition of optimize is a strong cultural awareness. They would be, they would definitely be optimizing because yeah. they're constantly running feedback uh, and doing process improvements to the already fairly accessible experience that they're producing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess it's this commitment to moving away from this. It's a checkbox exercise that we just get it done, and it's it's a evolving, evolving platform. Getting it yeah. done is never enough. It's like yeah. it's just as bad as doing it at the end. Yeah. Oh, awesome, Sherry. Like, um, I, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. Like, um, we just want to keep this short and sweet. And you know, you've given us some great resources, and and I guess, um, you've made a really strong case for making our designs and organizations more accessible. Um, especially when there's there's such a, a large amount of large percentage. It's it's not a minority, even though they may be treated like that. You know, twenty two plus percent. You know, one in five. And so, yeah, like, thank thank you so much for doing that. And um explaining what you mean by you know disability as an afterthought and breaking that apart um where can we find more information about your work and uh, how can we follow you uh, what, what sort of uh, resources or, or links would you like to uh, invite my members to, to view the best place to find me is on linkedin it's the only social media that i use um, and i have a fairly unique last name uh so it's not difficult to track me down uh which i assume will show up in your transcript uh somewhere um and it's visually displayed on the screen um always happy to answer questions uh when when people ping me on linkedin and uh then the other links to the Substack and the uh and the mm. book uh, you will, you'll also be providing. Yeah, great. Giving a damn about accessibility. Um, and then the newsletter accessibility. And yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know it's a bit early for you and I'm glad we we're able to finally get a hold of you. Um, really genuinely appreciate this. 